Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the very best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. We are a go. Wonderful, Chris, and pleasure. I'm finishing cold brewing, or, or, or sorry, hand pouring some coffee here for our two, us to enjoy our podcast together. Thank yeah. you, Chris. It's a very ritualistic thing. I've just seen you doing that. This multi-sensory experience you're creating yourself to prepare yourself for what's to come for the day. I actually wanted it to be part of the podcast. I didn't realize we weren't recording. I, I <laughs> love doing a hand pour over. I, I worked with a set of Japanese companies almost exclusively for a period of it's about 18 months. And uh, this is a coffee ritual. Isn't what everyone in Japan does, but it is a thing in Japan. Mm. And I, uh, this is a piece I took back with me and decided to make part of my life. Well, having I mean, been to Japan myself and experienced a Japanese tea making ceremony, I can appreciate the level of rigor and ritualistic element they do to this. The turning of the cups, a certain drinking of certain parts of the cups, everything is all... A hugely great experience even even the selecting of the, the cup itself fascinating culture really enjoyed being part of it truly a, an optimized experience for certain certain aspects Absolutely. i mean if what you want is a quick shot of caffeine it's a way too slow process for that <laughs> yeah it, it's what you want but uh it takes me about just under 10 minutes including washing the dishes uh apart from drinking it Right. So the preparing and then the breaking it down. And I like to build in that extra time each morning when I can. Um, and I've started hand whipping shaving cream in a okay. bowl with a brush. Um, and the, it, it tells me the day has been built in a way that, that I actually don't have to be running flat out. And sometimes I have to run flat out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just have a quick shave and a, and a quick jolt of caffeine. Right. But um, building in your day to see the sunrise and the sunset. I think it's important, especially when you're working 12 or more hour days. Um, so then you build in this beautiful ritual um, to, to balance that out, I think. But Chris, do you have some rituals like that or, or some time for you that's important to you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a big believer in having, having good habits that enable you to, I should say, take a step back to to separate yourself from a, from a working situation. So my, my morning rituals, I'll give you a rundown of mine. I'll wake up, I'll get myself a coffee. I will uh, feed my cat Celeste, she's a big pedigree main coon, make sure she's got some attention, let her out if she needs to. And then I'll take my coffee back up to bed and then I'll read probably the first half hour of my day, I'll spend reading a book, whether that's fiction or whether it's the, the latest agile journey I'm on discovering and learning. So I'm a big believer in continuous learning in my own life. Uh, then I will take myself off for a walk, just a little half hour walk. It's almost like a fake commute, you know, not having a commute at the moment, not having a, an office to physically go to means that just stepping away again, outside, getting some fresh air. These are the things that help me prepare for my day ahead. So we all have our rituals and I think they're, they're hugely important. Everyone has their own set of rituals. Uh, everyone's unique and different in their own ways, has their own ways to decompress. Uh, and I'm a big believer in making time for those. Massive, massive mm. fan. Chris, what a beautiful structure you've put around your day. And I bet those rituals change and evolve 
is there one you used to have that you think you might iterate on and bring back in a different form? So I, I used to uh, use my read as my walking time to also listen to audiobooks, and I still dabble with it. Uh, sometimes I just want to disconnect and not have my mind thinking. So maybe just drifting away to music whilst I'm out in nature can help. Sometimes I am in the mood to just listen to something going along, multitasking in that respect, I guess. But yeah, I think, as you say, the habits, they evolve over time. You experiment with new ones. I'm a big believer in, I do what I call solo inspection. And basically on a daily basis, I'll journal, I'll note down the things that help me move towards my goals, further away from my goals, you know, what value I've brought on that day, how I'm feeling emotionally. And then I wrap that up on a weekly basis as well. And it helps me spot trends and trajectories. And I'll even identify experiments I want to try in the next week. Hey, I, I want to try three new things in the work next week. What am I going to try? And then a week later and say, well, how do I feel about them? Did they work? And I actually think it's great for your, your mental health as well. It helps get things outside of your head. And it's basically applying agile principles to my own, my own life. Well, at least the scientific principles inspector depth transparently upon mm -hmm. which based as an agilist, I will often call that an agile principle, but I mean, actually science is science. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it absolutely have, is. Have you consumed the book, the power of habit? I loved it. Have you read it? I have not. I have read atomic habits by James clear. I, I think we're on a similar page then either way, even mm -hmm. if I didn't have to read exactly the same book that you did. Yeah. Um, I, I'm also a fan about trying to be intentional about habit in 2001, I gave my TV to my mother. I just bought a, a great big at that time mm -hmm. TV. It still was pretty big, um, in 2001 and, um, the world trade center events happened. And actually just before that, I decided to rethink my habits and it was reinforced by the reality of the World Trade Center events just after. And I measured where I spent my time uh, across the course of a week. And I realized I spent about three hours a day consuming media, watching the news or a movie. I mean, it, it wasn't every day three hours, but it averaged to three hours because a lot of weekends I'd watch two movies in a day with my friends. And I enjoyed that. It was good timing and there's inspiration and muse and ideas. But I realized it wasn't what I chose, the optimum use. And instead, I switched to spending three hours a day practicing martial arts. Okay. And 16 years later, I could break concrete with one finger, and I got a fifth degree black belt. And that, along the way, reinforced and taught me long-term planning for self-transformation. And I don't personally know or hang out with anyone that can break concrete with one finger you know, on the planet. And I'm sure I'm not the only one, but it's, it's not common. And you could obtain, I obtained an uncommon capability by being persistent over many years with a significant time commitment. And all I had to give up was I never watched Lost or Game of Thrones, which were for big deals. And I bet they were fun. And a lot of people did watch Lost and Game of Thrones, but the world didn't seem to get significantly better as a result. And I'm, I'm not sure everyone's world improved because I became really good at Kung Fu, but I know I feel really safe and more in control of a lot of different circumstances than I did before, not just physical safety, um, more capable. And my faith in myself and what I can achieve is 
totally different or, or more informed. Uh, so it was the right move for me. Okay. Well, fascinating. And actually, you, um, you've just demonstrated part of what I was going to talk about in the introduction to this episode today. So I, this is essentially a, the latest installment in what has evolved into the virtually agile video cast with it features each seasonal feature guests like yourself, um, established agile thought leaders alongside amplifying newer voices, the people that you don't see at conferences, the people who, who are doing great work out there, but we're not, we're not hearing from them. And uh, today uh, I have the pleasure essentially of, of introducing someone who doesn't really need as much of an introduction. Um, I've got a, a litany of things to say about you here. You're a TED speaker, founder of Team Wikispeeds, operator of Agile at Tesla, designer and builder of everything from robots to race cars and houses. And also a fifth Dan black belt, the many faceted, multi-talented, Marvel superhero-esque named Joe Justice. Okay, so for those that aren't familiar with Joe Justice, there's a little bit of a flavor of what he's about. And uh, for anyone who isn't perhaps familiar with, with you, could you, well, please tell us a little bit more about yourself, a little more flavor behind that list, that absolutely long list of accolades I've just shared. Well, Chris, it, it, you and I are just about the same. <laughs> so I, 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 I love it. Um, certainly, but I'll ask that you also amplify yourself and, and do the same thing because we're, we're, we're really similar. Um, I'm alive to try to make a difference on the planet, I think. And I, I, I hope every one of us thinks that way. Um, but that's driven me to make some maybe uncommon choices of how I allocate my time and skills I want to build up. And that's made this person, Joe Justice, and some people think it's interesting. So I'm invited to talk at conferences often, and I'm invited to teach project management and company structure, which is really habit and time investment and structure of communication. Um, and in a way it fits. I'm starting to get back into jewelry making now um, because uh, weirdly in COVID, I travel even more, um, strangely, and I can't bring my factory with me. I've got this factory, this solar powered factory in the California desert connected to Willow Springs racetrack. Um, and, uh, and it's iterating towards making homes, beautiful, Instagrammable, environmentally friendly homes that people could afford working for $19 an hour. That's the wish. That's the dream. Uh, Cause there's a gap in housing right now for something that you'd really want, something you truly desire and can afford to maintain. And it'd be better for the planet than the incumbent. And it's totally attainable by people with a average or even crummy, unfortunate job. I'm trying to solve for that. Well, trying to stay sharp on building, um, turns out designing jewelry in CAD and then having it structurally 3D printed at remote printer farms gives remote printer farms business as the world figures out how to engage with the virtualized supply chain. And I want to do that. I want to support those businesses. And it helps me keep connection with those entrepreneurs who are the next generation manufacturing 4.0. Um, so structural 3D printing, titanium, zirconium, uh, not zirconium, the ultra high temperature metal that rocket nozzles are made out of Inconel. Outside uh, of my wheelhouse, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, it's cool. You can 3D print rocket engines. That's what SpaceX does. Mm -hmm. And that's part of how they can make 
a new one and installed on a rocket in less than a week. When people talk about agile sprints, I mean, the whole idea is you have a fast pace of innovation and in hardware, it's the same. So if you're not making new hardware in less than a week, you've built in some unagile practices that we need to iterate through, right? And companies like SpaceX prove you can't. So I think of a beautiful ring or necklace or whatever I'm trying to make as miniature rocket engine. And I'm using the same machines, same materials, same supply chain to, to stay connected to that world. Um, yeah, so that's Joe Justice, someone who's trying to truly improve the living experience. And my mantra when I wake up in the morning is, can I increase the healthy biodiversity and biodensity of the universe. And I mean, the cool thing about something that broad and that aspirational is on, on a tiny scale, it's easy, right? <laughs> I mean, you can, you can get four or five little house plants and you've increased, and if they're different plants, you've increased the biodiversity and then you've definitely increased the biodensity in your apartment or wherever you are, right? So, so on a small scale, it's easy. And then trying to scale that up well, that's exciting and super challenging, of course. So I'm working on space houses, houses that can be put into orbit. Um, yeah, so that, that's that's what I'm about. Now, Chris, would you please turn that around? And it's it's not far off your aspirations and what you build yourself to do every day. Can you inform everybody? I can indeed. So my my version of that, I, I don't think I quite do it on the, the scale you do it. Um, I, I tend to work with people. I'm, I'm a people first champion. I've got a, a team of people that I work with that are my guardians of agility and we are people first is our motto. Uh, so I work with people. I, I do what I can to make people's experience better. And that, that comes down to treating them as people, humans behind a machine. You know, not just, they're beating hearts behind a laptop. They're not just avatars in front of us. They are people. They have thoughts and feelings. They're not resources to be leveraged or used. They're not lines on an Excel spreadsheet to be abstracted and disposed of. I think of them as people and I want their experience to be as great as it can be. And this is where I leverage agility. I, I work with agile transformations. I work with transformation for companies towards agile practices, but also with huge focus on the human side of things. And a large part of what I believe in is making myself redundant, making it to the point I'm no longer needed there anymore. Uh, I, I believe in uh, individuals interactions enabled by processes and tools not not over process and tools but enabled by process and tools in this virtual world in particular and yeah just I, I want people's experience to be fantastic for them to wake up and enjoy their workplace and that's why a lot of the things i do at work is around bringing fun to the workplace and you may have seen this from some of my, my retro templates and things like that and we can talk about that in a, in a bit but actually, this was one something I was really excited to talk to you about. And I remember seeing, because I've seen some of your talks, uh, you have a similar style and ethos in that department. You mentioned playfulness. And as someone who brings fun to the workplace, I think this is going to be a good thing to talk about. So you mentioned playfulness being childlike and bringing your whole self to the workplace. So tell me more about how you do this. How do you enable an environment where people can do that? Well, Chris, this, I think, is the core issue of our times. And I, I think it's underappreciated. Um, I read the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance two, two decades ago. It's an awesome book. 
And what that book is actually about, among other topics, a, a heavy topic that a book addressed famously, the reason that book to some people became famous is it named the hippie movement and the divide between hippies and uh, disengaged war hawk um, uh, slave to the office neck and necktie people. And it named why, and it popularized terms like groove. And I'm trying to get in the groove. I'm trying to find the groove and it made it understandable to the people that were working hard office jobs and trying to feed themselves and their family and make the world that they thought was right, trying to be super productive and, and the people who were trying to disconnect from it. And we've got an evolved flavor of the same thing going on. And I think that book of our times or whatever the method, the tweet hasn't come out yet where it, where it made both sides understand each other, or at least give a name to the issue. And what I think that issue is that is largely unknown is increased pace of innovation on one side and completely sustainable, rewarding, whole self to work, loving work. And we've got agilists who are trying to do both. And in some cases, radically succeeding. And this people ask, why is agile such a thing? Why are these huge conferences? Why do hundreds of thousands of people meet and share practices and mindset? What is this thing? And it's a lot like the hippie movement was in the sixties. And, and people don't get it. How come our conferences have dance music and kids tracks where kids are learning agile, not just being placated and why is it such a bizarrely different experience when you go into an agile team area? Why are there inflatable palm trees and holiday lights and music? And, and yet the productivity is the best in the company. People are trying to gel these things. And I don't think it's been clearly articulated yet. And when I worked in the Musk companies, it is the fastest pace of innovation I've ever seen. It has a lot of what we agilists do. And it's hyper agile. In fact, it's, it's the best agile and the sustainable pace is improved. It's not as good as really awesome agile companies and taking the playfulness, the, I'll say even the, the style and fashion, I will incorporate those. And I, I think those are underappreciated by some agilists and bringing those into places like the Musk companies is part of what I and many agilists need to invite ourselves to do in the 2020s. And I think the pace of innovation, there's still a lot of agile companies that can't ship even working software in a month. And there's plenty of hardware companies that can't ship new working hardware in less than three years. And that's a, that's a lack of application of known good agile practices, right? Because it's fully possible. At Tesla, I was working in three-hour sprints, new hardware. So you can definitely do it. It's been proven possible. So putting those things together, and I don't know if we still get to call it Agile. I hope so, because people almost understand what Agile means. <laughs> we're, we're getting close to it. But the Agile manifesto doesn't incorporate all the pace of innovation stuff that the Musk companies do. It's totally compatible, but it's not in there. So what the Musk companies do is beyond Agile but it's missing some of the playfulness. Now, Musk gets it. He is agile. When he introduces Giga Berlin, 
he says, it's all about the rave cave. And it's about the music festival that we use to open the factory. And, and that's how we engage with the community. His community first stance is the rave cave. He describes it as cultural necessity. And he renamed himself Techno King of Tesla. And that's his official title. He also has the title CEO still, but his, his official title is Techno King of Tesla. Sounds like he digital did. overlord I had once. <laughs> well, and also God King of God Emperor of Mars, but I don't <laughs> so we agilists have an opportunity, I think, to learn from the pace of innovation the Musk companies are doing. And it's not only the Musk companies, and a lot of agilists know it already, but not everybody does, and it's not baked into the manifesto. So how do we then propagate that, the agile that increases pace of innovation? Because there's some agile that does not increase the pace of innovation and even slows it down. And I'll say that is not the part that I think has a future or I'm interested in. There's a lot that does. And then there's fashionable, beautiful, desirable, healthy, sustainable, family-centered life. If you can't bring your kids into any part of the work you're doing or your pets, you're doing it wrong. And a lot of people are doing it wrong. Whether that's a factory or a design studio, which by the way, in my experience is the same. Um, there's, that's the same point. If you can't bring a three-year-old in there safely and your pets, the system is broken. That's, that's how this is supposed to be. And if it shouldn't be a place that you could bring a date because it's absurdly attractive and good smelling and has a nice sound, we're, we're degrading the humans we're forcing to work there. Like I know people who have worked 12 hours playing video games in a row. I being one of them many times, especially in college and before. And then people say working 12 hours a day at the Musk company or, or more, it's, it's often a lot more. That, that's just disgraceful. That's disrespectful. That's horrible. No, not if it's as fun as that video game you were playing. Not if it's as healthy or sustainable. What is so wrong about a workplace that you want to leave? <laughs> if it doesn't embrace your whole self, like where would you, where would you go? There shouldn't be a place that you could go that's so much better that you want to go there. <laughs> that means your workplace is awful. Mm. Not that you're working too long hours. Okay, I, I think I got the point out. Thanks, Chris. I think you have. I mean, that's a wonderful aspiration, isn't it? A place where not only can you be yourself, you are psychologically safe to be entirely who you are, but also a place where you can bring family, friends, um, dates, wh whatever that may be, to that environment. And also just that it isn't work anymore. What's the, what's the phrase? If you, if you enjoy your work enough, you never have to work a day in your life, right? Is that... And yeah. then again, coming, coming back to the, the playfulness, the, the fun side of things, people that are having fun, they remain engaged. They, they enjoy the experience. They, they come up with great innovative things. And there's a quote I always leverage when I'm teaching agile, when I'm playing agile games, I'm a huge believer in using those to teach concepts and it's tell me something and I'll forget, teach me something and I'll remember, but involve me and I'll learn. And I always leverage that sort of mindsets when it comes to work agility too often it's just you know you, you go to these town hall style events and people are just talking at you and it's not it's not a two-way conversation it's just knowledge being transferred towards you whereas if you make it an interactive experience involve people in that 
they feel part of it. They are connected. They they feel like it's it's theirs as well. So I'm a huge believer in kind of leveraging that. And what was interesting for me is you mentioned the Agile Manifesto a few times. And obviously the Agile Manifesto, you mentioned 2001, it was the Agile Manifesto for software development, still is, it hasn't really, it hasn't been updated in 20 years. I know I and a number of others spoke on uh, panel discussions about this exact topic during a festival, uh, a global festival called Agile 20 Reflects 20 years on from the manifesto to discuss whether it was still fit for purpose. And ultimately the, the guiding values and principles, the, the decision was they, they are still fit for purpose. They aren't always applied in the right way. Some people apply them dogmatically and they're almost like, well, if you're not doing this, you aren't agile. Well, you aren't agile enough and our agile is better than yours. What I was uh, keen to, I guess, discuss with you is what is it that you think that Tesla are doing really well, or Tesla, the, the, the Musk companies are doing really well um, that goes beyond the manifesto. Uh, and interestingly, given that it was the manifesto for software development, how do you feel uh, this hardware companies are le leveraging agile principles to be successful? Well, I'll, I'll try to take those one at a time if I can. I'll see if I can. Sure. So Elon Musk works in the factory and he glues metal panels together. He helps unjam robots. He pulls carts of material. He, he operates machines with everybody else, wearing the same clothes as everybody else. And that has the morale benefits you think it would, but there's another game-changing benefit, and that's speed of approvals. So first, from the minute you're hired, the minute, in less than 60 seconds, you are handed a document called the Anti-Employment Handbook Handbook. It's four pages. It's been leaked to the internet so I can talk about it. There's a lot of stuff I want to say that I can't. I, I will respect my non-disclosure agreement. But some things have been leaked, not by me, so I can refer to them. They're in the public domain. And that handbook says you can talk to anyone, anywhere, at any time. If you see something wrong or something that's an opportunity, it's your job to fix it. And in fact, if you don't, you'll be fired. And that's anywhere, anything, about anything. Now, it, the handbook is really rough and it talks about getting fired several times <laughs> that said it, it's actually an incredibly loving and supportive place to work is how it's applied um, but uh, part of it is anyone can fire anyone if if uh, and it's not like they do people don't just walk around <laughs> and like i don't like you today right it's not how it is but you're accountable to each other truly structurally because these people if they think you're you're uh, a liability or being reckless or silly consistently or or even really reckless or silly even once you're gone it doesn't have to wait for a supervisor there aren't really supervisors so you're empowered you can spend money you're whatever from the moment you're employed well reading that is one thing but having elon three meters away reinforces that point looking like you doing the same thing you're doing he, he owns the company and now Elon's the richest person on planet Earth and potentially Mars and beyond soon. And if you say, I think we need to build another factory, you don't need to make even one report or even one presentation. You, you can just go do it. You, you are empowered. And that's how Giga Nevada started being built. 
that's how Giga Texas started being built. Someone said, we need more floor plan. And they just went out and did it. But if you wanted to ask for permission to verify, am I actually empowered? Elon's right there. He sleeps in the factory in a sleeping bag. So you don't, yeah, every night. So you don't have to make a single presentation or schedule a single meeting and you never have to talk to an intermediary about anything. And that radicalizes the feedback loop. It's, it's truly instant because it's internal, it's you. But you need that external validation from the person with entire financial authority. They're right there. And you, you, you can directly, in fact, you have to directly talk to them. You can't talk to an intermediary. They wouldn't tolerate it. They'd be like, don't talk to Elon. Um, <laughs> and there, there's Elon then said, if anyone tries to prevent you from talking to someone directly, they will be fired immediately. Like that is a termination worthy offense. That's how flat the company is. And if you compare that to current BMW, and I really like BMW, and there's some BMWs I really respect, and I've wanted to have certain BMWs for a long, long time, or current Volkswagen, or current Toyota, or current Nissan, or current Daimler, all of whom I've worked with. Oh, you can say Jaguar. I'm a Jaguar man. I've not worked with Jaguar, but I, I did get a little bit involved with um, uh, Rolls Royce. But uh, not Jaguar, um, not yet. Okay, um, their leadership team wants to dress different. They want to look different. They want to use a different bathroom. They want to use a different entrance, a different parking area. They they don't want to work the line. They might visit, and I can imagine them with white gloves putting together a piece of uh, a car off the line, not at the speed of the line, and then having it quality checked by line people afterwards ceremonially. But they're trying to live in a different world of their construction and then drive the cost down by making a less comfortable, less clean, more noisy, less convenient, maybe even less safe experience for everyone else. They want a class separation. And Musk wants an anti-class separation. He wants to raise the factory conditions so that they're good enough for the executives he wants to attract. And they don't really have executives. I mean, everyone works like Elon, right? There is not a single position in Tesla or SpaceX where you don't lift 20 kilograms every, you know, like putting something. There yeah. isn't one. There are agile coaches. I operated agile at Tesla. There are agile trainers. I, I'm one of them. And we build cars and we program robots and we unjam robots. And right. I mean, that's what you do. And, and that's how you understand the position. If you didn't, you'd be called an intern. Someone who does only one production job is called an intern. You need to be able to do at least three and whatever else you aspire to be doing. And that's an employee. That's the floor. Cross-functional, right? So what does the Musk companies do that some Agile companies don't? The Agile Manifesto says uh, business people should collaborate daily with the development team. So if we call Musk a business person and... Totally, he is. And if you call people designing a new heat pump and building it and installing it, because you're full stack, right? You're cross-functional if you work in Tesla. Um, if you call that the development team, yeah, you work together daily. But Musk is also designing and building and cleaning and everything, right? So he's also the development team. So the idea that I think is new is there is no role that's not development team. There isn't one. It doesn't exist. Um, and I think that's important. 
And I think that gets closer to holacracy than what a lot of people are trying to do when they try to scale agility and then they have leadership zones and product owner teams and other, that's totally unnecessary. In fact, it's too slow. That would never survive in Tesla or SpaceX. It couldn't keep up. It's all development teams. And I think that's not new, but I think that's not enforced by the Agile Manifesto. The Agile Manifesto allows development teams under tiers of scaled leadership which um, the Musk companies have transcended and they're much faster as a result. So that's one. Um, and I think it gets her to that feeling of engagement that you were hitting before and I'll plug back into the hippie movement. I, I think the hippie movement, which was before I was born. Me too. I think, <laughs> I think it was people wanting to be engaged and it's not that they didn't want to do something. I mean, they did huge things as groups and individuals. It's not they didn't want to do work, right? They didn't want to be unengaged and dead inside. And then the war hawks and neckties on the other side were people who, who largely thought you had to kill your dreams to survive. The reality of the world is to earn an income, take care of a family, to have a, have a home where, where you could survive you had to be dead inside. You had to become corporate. You had to leave your personality at the door or, or submerge it entirely so you could become a suit, a faceless suit and necktie and do your job. And it's not that they wanted to. They hated it too. And they would go home and they'd want to listen to groovy records as long as they got it out of their head by next morning when they went into work. But there's no way they could smoke marijuana. They worried they would lose the ability to put on the suit face and, and be the serious person they had to, to survive, to meet the, the realities of the harsh world swirling around them. And the hippies were like, no, no, you, you actually can be fully alive. You can engage. You can tune in. And maybe you can't do it in your job, but let's make different jobs. And I started to make festivals and ice cream and Tom and, Tom and or Ben and Jerry's ice cream and all this stuff. They tried to make new businesses that were compatible with you being groovy, listening to music at work at least, right? Um, totally different from, for example, IBM at that time, where you definitely weren't listening to music at work, especially not what you chose on your own. And women weren't even allowed. My, my mom was the first woman trained in computer programming by IBM. So they weren't even allowing women uh, in, in this time, right? My mom was the first one. Um, and then you look at agilists now and we're really skillful at building engagement at work and trying to find, well, not find, trying to find, effectively building increased productivity of the right things, the things that the business wanted while being more engaged. And the cool thing is the business leaders want it too. They're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want an unfashionable, dead inside, disengaged place to work. It's not fun for me either. So as long as we still get investors happy, as long as we still innovate faster so our product mix is winning, right? As long as the business functions, as long as it matches the cold, harsh realities of the market and physics, yes, please. And we're seeing Agile pull from all levels of the organization. And that's why the Agile movement continues to grow and get faster. And this is where I'll draw the line at what fake agile is. And I don't think it's where you're not engaged. I think that's, well, okay. 
if you're not in, engaged and if it doesn't feel like a Montessori preschool, it's fake agile, right? We've missed the point. But also if the pace of innovation is not faster, it's fake. And there's a lot of folks that have come from other disciplines and they had trouble getting jobs, just to be realistic. They were something like a life coach, something like an NLP practitioner. And, and they weren't maybe a rock star at that yet. They hadn't found their calling. They were exploring that, they were plumbing that, but they, they hadn't found their calling. And they say, okay, well, I'll, I'll go to Agile because it's related, it's similar, it uses these skills. I'm gonna to try to become a skillful Agilist. And they don't understand if the pace of innovation doesn't go up, they haven't met the structural realities of the market and the laws of physics. And that's bad Agile. And there's a lot of them. And they'll sell stuff, they'll sell you coaching, they'll sell you courses, they'll sell you books. And that will, that gives Agile a poor reputation and damages the movement because it doesn't increase the pace of innovation and we've got to do both unfortunately yeah you've touched on a point that there is a lot of commercialization of what what agile is it's become a bit of a commodity at some times there are i did a bit of research into this there's two some 260 something different agile qualifications you can get nowadays if i was to if i was to look at the list of safe qualifications and reel them off i would sound like i was um a bit, a bit like Amelia Clark in Game of Thrones, I know you don't watch the show, but she's Mother of Dragons, famously so, Breaker of Chains, etc. She has all these titles. If I was to get all of the safe qualifications, I would have an equally long and lengthy name. So there is definitely a bit of a, a commoditization of, of Agile, which unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's linked to the progression of any industry. There's always a, a commoditization that makes it more accessible, but commoditization for the wrong purpose, I would argue. What I, what I loved as well is you mentioned the word groovy several times there. And why I like that is because actually today, my the retrospective theme I released was the Austin Powers retrospective, which is all about being groovy, baby. And where are we, where are we in the groove as a team? So great, great little link there. Um, you mentioned, obviously, during the talk about the Agile Manifesto, you were, you were saying how what, what Agile, uh, what Tesla, sorry, the, the Musk companies do differently is they have this, what I feel is radical, a radical level of autonomy. And as someone who very much subscribes to uh, the motivational theory by Dan Pink, autonomy, mastery, and purpose, that radical autonomy, you know, really giving power to people to decide things, to do things, to act without permission, it actually lend, lends closely to uh, David Marquet and turn the ship around, if you're familiar with that. He, he believed in intent-based leadership. So rather than going, I'm, I want permission to do this, it's I intend to do this, and I've thought about this, and then it's just a yes. So you're not asking permission, you're saying, I'm doing this. So I love the fact that you've, you've shared that story about Tesla. It sounds like a lot of learnings are there for, for other companies looking to adopt agility or even go beyond agility, just as what the, uh, the Agile Manifesto says. I am conscious of time, Joe. Uh, I want to make sure that we, uh, we, we wrap this up. Uh, you knew this was coming, as I mentioned. After you and I spoke about having you on the show, you mentioned seeing the Taco Tuesday retro and that you liked it. And you asked if you could add a, a retro theme to my backlog. So I'm keen to see what you've come up with for me. What new retrospective theme are you challenging me to create in the I near future? Choose. You couldn't I choose. Couldn't no. No, I've, I've got so many that are desperately important to me. <laughs> okay. But I, I, I'm going to try one. All right. I'm going to try one. That's where you are. There's a there's a Wedgwood brand. Right. Uh, okay. Wedgwood uh, does um I'll write this down. Dishes, dishes, plates, and they have a lot of different styles. They have a lot of different designers. 
and they've got a, a, a style, a set of dishes, coffee sets, plates, espresso cups, serving dishes called Byzance. And it's, it's out of production. It doesn't exist anymore. I mean, you can maybe find them used sometimes, but already some of those are cracked and chipped because it's, it's out of production. And it is the most groovy okay. set of coffee cups, dinner plates ever. Like they're so intriguing. You can hold them close up. They have a very detailed semi-repeating geometric pattern with bright, bold colors. And, and yet an, an ultra classic slender uh, bone china design. It, it's, it's really good. And then there's a cutlery set, knives, forks, spoons, by a Dutch designer called, called Marcel Wanders, M-A-R-C-E-L-W-A-N-D-E-R-S. And it's called Dressed. And this cutlery and those coffee cups, and I never did get the serving plates, they're out of production now. But they're like red and blue skewed to one side checks, kind of. They're really detailed is style. It is style. That is what style is, especially since those are two radically different designers. They're both European, but they have really different styles. Uh, and putting them together, well, well, that is another layer of style, right? You have this double contract, Marcel's Wanders dressed and Wedgwood Byzance. And I would say a styled retrospective, where if you hang a poster of how to do that retrospective, or you make it your desktop image, it's gonna look gorgeous. If I walk in to work at, at Bendy or Kate Spade, and I have that as my background, and I say, I'd like to walk us through a retrospective, they say, oh, that's stylish. Huh? It looks good style. And the content of the retrospective just needs to be, what did we do to increase the pace of innovation, the pace of innovative new product, making it to market, or you know, some, something thereof, you know, okay. normal agile stuff. And what did we do to bring our whole self in a respectful, beautiful, loving style in a way that our kids and pets can come to work? Nice. It's, um, and, it's and definitely the first time anyone's asked me to do anything relating to cutlery, plates, uh, but I like the fact that this is going to be an aesthetically pleasing, nice to look at. Gorgeous. It's got to look gorgeous. Got I need to up my so UX if can, game. If I can leave this poster behind, how to follow this retrospective, they'd keep it up on aesthetics alone. Okay. And if you run the retrospective, the result is going to be thinking deeply and innovating on pace of innovation that makes it to our customers and a place where you can bring your family, pets, kids, a date to work and, and your whole personality. Both Very cool. Great, great theme. Thank you for that. And thank you very much for appearing on the Virtually Agile videocast. It's been wonderful to have you today. I've learned a lot. It's been, it's been brilliant. So all the best, Joe. Have a great day. Chris, keep on crushing it. Thanks for being awesome. <laughs> you too. Cheers. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.